Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, So great to be able to spend Sunday with you. Uh, As Steve said, we're so glad to have you here with us this morning. My name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor uh, at Genesis. We're starting a brand new series today uh, called Sent. We're going to be reading and studying through the book of Acts this year. And uh, we're going to cover about half of the book uh, from now through Memorial Day. We'll do something different for the summer. And then we'll jump back in together in August. And I'm just excited about what we're going to learn together and how the Lord's going to use all of this, uh, maybe for some of you, if you're new to faith and new to church and all these good things, that you're going to take a lot from this series. Maybe for some of you, you've been around for a really long time and the Lord's got something special in mind for you. Maybe you feel like you've gotten a little stale in your faith and you want to be re-energized. You know, Acts is a great book for that. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a retired pastor. Uh, The other day, I told him we were getting ready to start this series today. And he said, you know, if I remember correctly, he said, yes, he said, when our church studied through the book of Acts, we baptized more people that year than we ever had before. And I thought that'd be a pretty cool thing to see the Lord do at Genesis this year. And, uh, and so we're praying for that. And uh, maybe that's something that you'll join us in praying too. But we're going to be in Acts chapter one today. Uh, if you've got a Bible uh, and you want to find that, it's just into the New Testament. You go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to the book of Acts. That's where we're going to begin. But let me pray uh, for us as we start this morning. God, we do thank you that we can be here today. We thank you that we get the opportunity to worship together as friends, as a church family for new people, Lord. And uh, we're just reminded this morning that you are worth it, that uh, we are here because of you and we are here for you. And uh, we're just excited to see, Lord, what you're going to do today in our hearts and in our lives. And we're praying with expectation about what you're going to do this upcoming year for every single one of us. And uh, Father, wouldn't it be cool to see so much life change uh, through the ministry of this church this year? What if we baptize more people than we ever have before? And uh, you can do that, Lord. And so we're trusting you. We're trusting you to have our, your way in our lives. And again, through our church family. And as we begin today, I, I pray that you just meet us and speak to us in a special way. I mean, it, Lord, you know every life here this morning, every person, you know our past, you know the things that are going on right now, and you know exactly what we need. Now, I pray that we would have a special encounter with you this morning. Have your way in us. Uh, speak through me today, Lord, and through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I wonder if you've ever been watching maybe a great movie. You got to the end of, of a great movie, maybe a, an interesting series on Netflix or something that you've been binging your way through, or even to the very end, the last pages of a captivating book, and you get to the end and you're sad to see it come to an end, but then you realize there's a sequel, right? A sequel. It can be a good thing. I remember, I remember the first movie that I ever saw as a kid, uh, Superman with Christopher Reeves, back to the original. I uh, was probably four or five years old at the time. My dad took me, took me to the Fox Theater in Springfield, Illinois, and I'm pretty sure we got popcorn together. And I can remember uh, sitting on his lap as we watched the movie, as we experienced it together. But I can also, as much as I enjoyed the movie, I can remember how terribly sad I was when it finally came to an end. I didn't want it to to end, but then my dad assured me and reminded me, told me that there'd be another, that there'd be a sequel and that we do it all over again. Well, today, as we get started in the New Testament book of Acts, uh, we've been looking this past year at the book of John and, and, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are a lot like John as they tell the beautiful story of the life and the teachings of Jesus. Well, Acts is like one big sequel to those books. 
books to the story of Jesus, Luke in particular, as we'll study together in just a moment. Acts tells the story, you could say, of what happened next. And let's just face it, we know that some sequels should have never been made or never been written, all right? But, but Acts isn't like that at all. Acts, on the other hand, is a brilliant, exciting continuation of what Jesus started when he came to the earth. And so we're gonna take the next 28 Sundays this year to walk through this New Testament history book. And I wanna encourage you to maybe think about going over and above a little bit with us. And, and while we'd love for you to participate here on Sundays, I hope you'll make it your goal to read along with us. Acts can be a, a very exciting and easy book to read. And so maybe you'll read and study through Acts. There's a reading plan back at the Info Hub if you'd like to do that. Many of our connection groups are gonna be studying through the book of Acts, including the one that my wife and I lead. I also love the fact that our middle school students and high school students are talking about Acts uh, as they meet together. And then we've got a really special event coming up in a, a little over a week and a half. Uh, going deeper is what we call it. We've done these in the past. You might have been here before when we've had people like Brad Gray and Brad Nelson. Well, Dr. Cindy Parker is going to join us on Wednesday night, February the 15th. If you enjoyed Brad Nelson's teaching as we've had him here the last couple of times, you'll love Dr. Cindy Parker. They speak at many of the same conferences together. Uh, she's been a professor in Jerusalem. Uh, she leads trips to the Holy Land. She's written a book that I just finished reading. And so we're so excited to be able to have her right here on Wednesday night, February the 15th from 7 to 9 p.m. where she's going to teach about the history behind the book of Acts, specifically the first few chapters, the introduction of it all. And so it's going to be a fun evening together. And we'd love to have you back for that. And if you could be there, go to the website and sign up just so we kind of get an idea of how many people are going to join us. But uh, a physician, Luke, is credited for writing the book of Acts, as well as the gospel Luke. And if you flip through the pages of the gospel of Luke, you'll see how Luke's first writing comes to an end with the resurrection of Jesus. And then there's some additional details about what Jesus did in those days following his resurrection. Well, Acts picks up where Luke ends with the ascension, as we'll see just a, in just a moment. That's 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. And then the next 28 chapters of Acts cover about 30 years, 30 plus years of time. Scholars estimate a range of, of AD 30 to about AD 62. And as I, as I mentioned already, Acts is an exciting sequel or continuation of what Jesus started. Acts demonstrates for us how the church was born, uh, how those, uh, those first uh, early followers, the church became the hands and the feet of Jesus, and how over a period of time, those early followers of Jesus were sent out on mission, sharing the hope and the message of Jesus with the rest of the world. And, and the fact is that Jesus' mission continues today. Uh, because I heard someone say one time, if Acts has 28 chapters, we're living in Acts chapter 29 as the mission continues. And that means that we then Genesis are a continuation of the story or the mission that Jesus launched in Acts chapter one. And if we just stop there, I don't know how about that sits with you, but if this mission is ongoing, then you and I have been called by Jesus to be a part of it. Don't you wanna make sure you do your part? You know, and, and that we do our part together as a church. Like I love knowing that we're a part of something bigger that you and I, we are a part of something greater in this world, something that has the potential to impact people's lives in a very positive way. And that's why we're calling this series Sent, because as Jesus sent out those first disciples, those early followers in that church, we believe he's still sending us out today, all of us, that we all have an important part 
to play. All right, and so we're gonna start today in Acts chapter one, beginning in verse one. Obviously, we're not gonna try and cover every verse in the book of Acts together here on Sunday mornings, which means you're gonna have to do some of this work yourself and in your connection groups. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter one, beginning in verse one. Here's how Luke writes as we start this book. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, if we were to write something like this today, if you and I were to pen something like this, we would say something to the effect of dear Theophilus, all right? That's how our letter might begin. But if you go back to Luke chapter one, you'll find that Luke's gospel begins much the same way that Acts does. And with both historical records, Luke begins by addressing this man by the name of Theophilus, whose name means friend or beloved of God. And that has caused some scholars to speculate that Theophilus might not have been a real person but that instead Luke and Acts were written to a general audience. But a more likely theory is that Theophilus was a real person, that he was a distinguished official, maybe a political leader for Rome, someone who had given their life to Christ. And in that case, Luke and Acts were written to encourage him and to encourage his faith, but also meant to uh, encourage and motivate other people, other believers, people like you and me. And so again, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He continues, verse two, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, if we were to just review the timeline of events, and many of you know these, uh, as we discovered in our study through the book of John last year, Jesus was crucified and died and buried on a Friday. He rose from the dead on a Sunday, which we call Easter. After that, Jesus spent an additional 40 days on the earth. Now doing what? Well, verse three gives a quick overview of that. When we read that after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them, to the disciples and the followers and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And according to the gospels, and again, when we say that, we're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus made different appearances, as Luke notes, after his resurrection. He appeared, we know from the Gospels, to Mary Magdalene and some other women. He appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, followed by the disciples, many of the disciples on multiple occasions. A little further into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul mentions these appearances in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, when he explains how Jesus used these 40 days prior to his, to his ascension to meet with the disciples and how on on one occasion, Paul notes he appeared to a crowd of 500 of his followers. But at some point during those 40 days, Jesus made his way from Jerusalem down here towards the bottom of the map where you see the red star up to the north to the Sea of Galilee to the very uh, top of the screen. And if you look up to the left of there to this place called Capernaum, uh, it is believed that Jesus went there, that he, that he eventually went there with his disciples specifically to a place called Arbel, and it's from there that many believe Jesus spoke these words. You've heard us read them before. From Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now we sometimes refer to this as the great commission. You could say this is when Jesus was giving his marching orders. This is the kingdom assignment, the mission that Jesus gave his disciples, you and me and our church. And why not give it from a place like Mount Arbel? Because here's a picture from that mountain overlooking the sea of Galilee. Can you think of a more inspirational place to give such an important mission to his people. But don't confuse this event, the Great Commission at Mount Arbel with the Ascension, because that's a different occasion and a different location, and we'll see that in just a moment. But again, these 40 days are really, really important, and verse 3 hints at why. Because Luke records, again, that after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The point is this. The resurrection of Jesus is kind of a big deal, right? I mean, we believe that as a foundation of our faith. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about the cross and we should because it's very important. But the fact is that the cross means nothing apart from the resurrection of Jesus. And when you think about it, if you're gonna send these men and women and students into the world with a message, don't you want to make sure they know you're alive? Genesis, there's something really, really important here for these early followers, for you and me today. And it's just this reminder. It's the reminder that our faith is based on the historical reality that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that has incredible implications, right? For your life and my life and our circumstances and everything that you're going through right now and everything that you're thinking about for the future, you know, like... It has incredible implications about how we see the world and see our lives and certainly for the mission that we've been given. Like these early followers, they got to see and experience the resurrected Jesus face to face. And when you think about it, like what else would cause them to go to such lengths and to sacrifice and risk their lives? Like keep this in mind as we read through the book of Acts. Like when you watch these men and women and students give everything, remember they saw and experienced Jesus face to face. They knew he was alive and they watched as he ascended into heaven. And so Jesus used these 40 days to encourage them, but I think he's also using these 40 days to put the finishing touches on his strategy. Like just think about the, the command, the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. That's no small task, all right? We talk a lot about the faith of the disciples to undertake such a task. Let's give Jesus some credit for handing over the keys of the mission, all right, to these individuals. Well, as we get to Acts 1 verse 4, the 40 days are up and Jesus and his disciples have made their way from Galilee back to Jerusalem to a place called the Mount of Olives, which can be seen from here. If you're standing on the Mount of Olives today, you can overlook the ancient historical part of the city and where the temple was located. It's just a short walk into Jerusalem. And it was from the Mount of Olives that Jesus would ascend into heaven, but not before speaking some important words to his followers. Let's pick it up in verse four. Luke records on one occasion, 
while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. He says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, my guess is that it was a little risky for Jesus and the disciples to go back into Jerusalem, all right, because of what Jesus had experienced, the fact that he had been crucified there. But at some point after they arrived, Jesus and the disciples, they gathered together and he told them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here, specifically wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, what's the gift? Well, again, think back to our study through the Gospel of John earlier in the fall. Remember Jesus and his disciples, they're in the upper room. It's the night before he was crucified. Jesus washed their feet. There was a meal. And at some point during the evening, the special evening, Jesus said to them, as John records in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, Jesus' words, if you love me, keep my commands. And then Jesus said, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Now that word another means one just like the first. All right, because Jesus promised his followers that his father would eventually send someone to help them that would be just like Jesus. That helper is the person that we often refer to as the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is someone who Jesus calls an advocate. An advocate is somebody that walks through life with you. It's somebody that comes alongside of you along the way. And let me just say this about the Holy Spirit and you know, all of these things, you know, we, th- this is very much one of the great mysteries of our faith, all right, as followers of Jesus, as a church, this, th- this truth that God is one being made up of three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We sometimes refer to them as the Trinity. The Trinity simply means three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the the Holy Spirit. And we don't have time to dive into that mystery now, but I do want you to see what Jesus says about the role the Holy Spirit can play in the life of someone, anyone who has trusted has put their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said it in John 14, the next verse, verse 17, that he is, he's sometimes referred to as the spirit of truth. He goes on, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And so Jesus points out that he's not in everyone only those who have trusted Christ, only those who have put their faith in Jesus uh, know the promise, have the Holy Spirit living in them. That's why Jesus says, you know him because I am here with you now. Jesus says, I'll be going soon, AKA ascension, but never fear because I will, the Father will send the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter two, and he will be in you. And that's why Jesus says, wait for the gift to his disciples. He says, I'm leaving, but I'm gonna send my spirit instead to live in you, to be with you, and to work through you. And later on in John, Jesus says, it's actually to your advantage that I go, to which the disciples had to be thinking to themselves, huh? Like, like how's that an advantage? Like, like what do you mean that we're gonna be better off 
than having you here physically with us right now to which Jesus basically replies, what, what, what's about to happen to you is actually better and greater than you having me right now in your physical presence. And try and get your mind around that. I mean, think on those words, think on that promise. It's, it's almost as if Jesus is, say, is saying, if, if you could choose between having me in the flesh and having me as the Holy Spirit in you, I think we can almost hear Jesus say, trust me, you want the Holy Spirit in you. It is better and it will be greater for you. But they still had questions because I still got a lot of questions. Verse six, look what it says. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus' followers were ready. They were ready for Jesus to defeat Rome and evil once and for all and finally establish his physical kingdom here on the earth. And I just say, you know what, that's fair. Because don't we all want the same? I think we'd all say we want the same. Like, don't you get tired of the chaos? Don't you get tired of the wars and the politics and things like cancer and death and brokenness. I mean, we have this hope. I mean, the hope that we have as followers of Jesus is that one day Jesus will return and those things are gonna be a part of the past. They will be eliminated finally and forever, once and for all. But for now, Jesus basically says to them, hey, you let me worry about the world and when I'm gonna come again. But in the meantime, you've got work to do. There's a responsibility I'm putting on you. There is a mission still to be completed. And then in verse seven, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, which we read these words and we know that he will return. All right, Jesus is going to come back and that should very much encourage us and motivate us. But I think Jesus would also say, in the meantime, don't get distracted though. Don't get so caught up in the things of this world that are good and, and maybe important, but really in the grand scheme of things don't have an eternal significance, but instead remember you're here for a reason. Like I've, I've got you in this world. I've got you in the community that I've put you in for a purpose, which means at the same time too, don't withdraw from the world either, you know, and from people around you. Like don't, don't put a big fence around your house or, or your life or your family because the goal isn't to hide out and just survive until Jesus comes back. No, Jesus has called us into the world. He has put us into the world for a reason. Like you and I, we are here on this earth for a reason. And even as Jesus was sending these men and women and students in Acts out on mission, he's done the same. He's doing the same for us too. We are a part of God's redemptive plan. I'm gonna say that again. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, as a church, we are a part of God's great eternal redemptive plan. We're living in Acts chapter 29, helping people find their way back to God until Jesus returns. And verse eight records Jesus' last words. And because they're his last, we know they have great importance. They're, it's a key verse for us in this series and really the key verse for all of Acts in this sense series, Acts chapter one, eight, when Jesus says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Now there's a word here in this text, in that very first line, it's the word 
power. It comes from the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. It's a word that means strength. It's a word that means force. It's a word that means power. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit that gives Jesus' followers the power and the courage to advance the mission of Jesus in this world. And you'll read more about the Holy Spirit this week as you read through Acts chapter two, but you're also gonna read about it on every page of Acts until we get to the very end of the book. And Ben's gonna be here to teach next Sunday, teaching with us through Acts chapter two. I hope you'll make every effort to be here because not only is it gonna be a great teaching, but it's also Ben's last Sunday with us. So make sure to be here for that. But what's this power for? All right, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus says, it's the power to be my witnesses in this world. What's a witness? A witness gives testimony to what they have seen and experienced with their own eyes and in their own life. Why, was these, why were these 40 days with Jesus so important? Why did the convincing proofs matter so that they would have the memory as well as the power and the courage to go and tell others what they had seen and experienced with Jesus? And what'd they know about Jesus? Well, they came to learn and discover that there was, there was nobody like Jesus. That this Jesus, this person of Jesus, he, he made their lives different and he made their lives better. That, that Jesus loved people like no one they had ever seen and ever met before. That, that Jesus lived a, a perfect life of obedience. That he trusted God the Father with every day and every moment and every circumstance in his life. That he is the Messiah. That he is our Savior, which means that he is our great hope. That he is our deliverer. And he's the reminder that it's not about what you and I can do and accomplish for ourselves. It's what Jesus did on our behalf. That he died to save us. That he died to redeem us that he offers his love and his salvation to anyone who will put their faith and their trust in him. And Jesus, he knew then what he was doing when he chose these ordinary men and women and students and he, he taught them and he trained them and he modeled for them how to live like they witnessed his death and also and more importantly his resurrection and then he commissioned these men and women saying go into all the world. Now Jesus put the mission in their hands and if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've experienced his life and received his grace and forgiveness, I wanna remind you today that in the same way he was putting the mission into the hands and, uh, of these men and women and students that he's done for, well, he's done the same for us. That again, you are a part of God's redemptive plan. God has a very special purpose and meaning for your life. And I know that when I say that, our inclination is to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, not me. Like, maybe, maybe all of them, maybe that person sitting on the other side of that room, you know, I've, I've seen how they live their life. I've seen their gifts, but not me. I wonder if any of the disciples, any of these early followers thought that. But then Jesus said, no, 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 not so fast. You may not feel equipped, but don't forget there's a gift coming. Acts chapter two, again, that's next week. But that was Jesus' way of saying, I I'm gonna give you what you need. There is a gift coming, something amazing, something unlike anything you've ever experienced before. And your role and my part 
Well, like these disciples, as we are commanded to go and tell people what we've seen and experienced and learned, to live a life that resembles more and more of Jesus each and every day, that we are to keep loving God with all of our heart and soul and strength, and then to love our neighbor to the same degree that we say that we love our God. And as Jesus said to them, he promises to us as well. He says, I'll give you my power. He says to his disciples, I'll give you my power when I'm ready and then I'll come back. And you and I, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, we already have that power in us. And his promise is still the same. He says, I will come back. Luke records these words. We'll finish with them today. He says, after this, after Jesus has said this, he, he was taken up. He was ascended before their very eyes from the Mount of Olives and a cloud hid him from their sight. The, the disciples, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And their message was, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Can you just imagine the moment? Like, can you put yourself on there on the Mount of Olives, like looking up in the sky, you know, as he, as he ascends? Like, just like, are you sure we're ready? You know, like, like really? And you, you, you just wait, like there's, there's a gift coming, right? Or, or. Like to the ends of the earth, really? And she's like, yeah, in fact, I can see it up from up here. Like it's beautiful, right? Like trust me, like get ready for some travel. And then just like that, he's gone, except for two angels. And what's their message? Jesus will return, but for now and until he returns, you got work to do. You have an assignment. You were a part of God's rescue plan. Go I am sending you. I can't say it enough. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're a part of God's redemptive plan of helping people find their way back to him in this world. And I know we get distracted. I get distracted. We get caught up in other less important things. We doubt that God could do something so important in and through our lives or we can't see or we don't understand why it matters. But when you and I, when we consider the price paid for our lives, the forgiveness that we've received and the salvation, like how can we not take advantage of every moment, of every relationship, of every opportunity that we have to demonstrate and model and even speak the message of love of Jesus with others, again, by our actions and certainly in our words too. Like saying yes to Jesus and to his mission is really an act of obedience and a bold step into a life of purpose that is far greater than anything else you might ever pursue in this world. Like saying, saying yes to Jesus has the potential to bring even more meaning to your relationships right now. People in your lives, people in your home, like your family, your neighbors. It, it, it can bring new meaning to the job that you feel really stalled out in right now. Like it, it, it can bring new uh, meaning to your efforts as, as a mom and as a dad and it brings certainly considerations you know, young people to the, to the major that you choose, the, the career that you're pursuing, the community that you let God lead you to one day. You and I, as followers of Jesus, have been called, we have been sent by Jesus so that he might reach the rest of the world through you. There's a chance you've never heard of these men before. In fact, we probably wouldn't know their names 
if they wouldn't have been killed tragically. That is Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and Ed McCauley. Each of these men said yes to Jesus in a really extraordinary way. And over time, God brought them together as a team and gave each of them the conviction to help take the good news of Jesus Christ into a particular region of, uh, of Ecuador to specifically the Wadani people. And these men knew the risks. All five of them, uh, though, believed that they had been sent by God with the news of the resurrected Jesus. And so in 1956, they made their way into a very remote region of Ecuador, going to great lengths to communicate their intentions of peace to the Wadani tribe people. But on January 8th, 1956, just a day or two after they had landed there, all five men were brutally murdered by the tribe that they had prayed they could possibly reach with the gospel message. Four of the five bodies were eventually recovered. Five wives and eight orphan children mourned their deaths as their tragedy became a worldwide news story. But within two years of their deaths, two very brave women in particular, Jim Elliott's widow, Elizabeth Elliott, and Nate Saint's sister, decided to go back to the very same place where these men had been killed just two years before. Their goal was to bring this message of peace and the hope of carrying out the mission that their men believed was possible. And they did. They were successful and eventually they moved their families into the village as well. And over a short period of time, these women and others began to translate the word of God into the Wadani language through the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of the Wadani people gave their lives to Jesus Christ, including the very men who had been involved in the attack and the murders of these missionaries. Now, here's the thing. I know that when we tell or I tell a story like that, we might hear it and think, that's too sensational. That's too unique. Like, I could never do something like that. Or, or really, does being sent by Jesus mean that I got to go to a place like this? I got to get on a plane somewhere and go to a place where that might happen to me too? Maybe. Maybe not. But here's what I know to be true of you and of me. And that is that if you've been saved by grace, if Jesus has changed your life, like these men and women, you and I, we have a, a part to play. We've got a role to play too. Like you have the spirit, the Holy Spirit in you. And in the same way Jesus sent his disciples out, in the same way he sent these men and women into Ecuador out, like you and I have been given a similar mission so that others might possibly know the powerful love of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean you have to become a missionary and it doesn't mean you necessarily have to travel overseas and go somewhere remote. But why not next door? What about your street and the neighbors that God has put around you right now? What about your office place, the people that you do life with, your school, anywhere you spend time with people? Jesus is ready to send you and to send me. We have an important part and role to play. And so not only are we gonna be studying Acts, but we're also gonna be praying this prayer together. You've got it on a card or you can pick one up at the info hub through our Acts reading plan. But we wanna just pray every day and maybe you'd be willing to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for saving me. Thank you for what you've accomplished in my life. I want you 
to do for others what you've done for me. Use me today to help others know you. I wanna give you just a few moments with that prayer that you might pray it as well. Father, that is our prayer today. And we're asking that you would hear our prayer. Our prayers, Lord, that we are here, that we are listening, that we are ready to be sent. We're ready to recommit our lives. Maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time, we're beginning to understand something new, something bigger, something greater that we've been called to. And I pray that you might even meet us in the confusion right now because if we're sitting here, if you're sitting here and thinking, I don't even know what this looks like. A willing heart's a great place to start, Lord. And there are a lot of willing hearts around the room right now. Would you overwhelm us with your presence? Would you show us what obedience looks like this afternoon, but then again tomorrow and the day after that? We, we wanna see people come to know Christ through know Jesus through our obedience by your power, Lord, and your message of grace and hope. Have your way in our lives. Have your way in our church. We are ready to be sent by you. And it's in Jesus' powerful and precious name we pray. Amen.